Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Marie M. brings in baby Ella for her six-month checkup. Things are going well. You ask about feeding and question if she's introduced peanuts at all into her diet. Marie says yes, just as you suggested. Hi, this is Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. And joining me this morning is Robert Baldor, professor and founding chair of the Department of Family Medicine at UMass Medical School's Bay State in Springfield, Massachusetts. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Frank. Uh, great to uh, to join you here in our, uh, you know, socially distanced virtual world. Yes, yes. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought uh, the, the issue of peanut allergy and, and feeding uh, to our discussion today. Um, can you begin by reminding us a little bit about what's the what's the story with peanut allergy and food allergies in general, and, and tell us about the 2017 American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines. Yeah, this has really been an interesting uh, you know uh, issue for me as as one of my sons had a peanut allergy, but it turns out it's actually a growing uh, public health problem. And uh, if you go back to just at the turn of the century here now. In 1999, the uh, number of children with a peanut allergy was about 0.4% uh, in the United States. A decade later, the incidence of this had increased at 2%. Now, uh, peanut allergy is the leading cause of death related to food-induced anaphylaxis in the United States, although the overall mortality is really very low. However, these things hit the news, and so the fear of life-threatening uh, anaphylactic reactions has really contributed to significant uh, concerns about these uh, issues and a lot of psychosocial burden of diseases, lots of schools with a peanut table over in the corner, a peanut-free table over in the corner of the cafeteria, and, uh, and, and so on. So the question is, is there something we can do about this? And um, so some data came out here in uh, 2015, the, uh, the LEAP trial. It was actually a randomized uh, control trial looking at the early introduction of uh, of peanuts uh, in, uh, to infants and seeing if they could have an impact on this. And then a follow-up uh, study was also published in the New England Journal of Medicine here called the Leap On uh, Study. And this and other data suggest that peanut allergy can be prevented through the introduction of peanut-containing foods beginning in infancy. And so um, I think what this uh, guideline does is uh, present a, a sense of, well, how do you actually do that? Um, so the uh, so part of this is it, it, it actually states by thinking about is the child at risk for for a peanut allergy uh, or uh, or not and uh, they you start by taking a history and it turns out that the the peanut allergy is obviously children who have more sense of a general uh, uh, tend toward atopy with with uh, with uh, eczema and other uh, other other food allergies as part of that. So basically, uh, as we look at this, the thought is, is if a child has no um, problems with eczema early on, uh, no egg allergy, start introducing peanut-containing uh, foods around 
six months of age. And we can talk a little bit about how that is uh, how that is done. However, there are infants that fall into a high-risk group for peanut allergy. And those are ones with severe eczema or egg allergies. And so severe eczema is, is defined as having uh, uh, the need for an infant to be treated with uh, prescription strength, topical uh, corticosteroids or other uh, anti-inflammatory agents, uh, uh, despite the use of uh, moisturizing uh, agents, and so that you're actually needing to treat them with, with prescription uh, medications. And so for those infants that have had problems with eczema early on, they would benefit from earlier intake of containing, uh, peanut-containing foods as early as four months of, of age in order to reduce the risk of developing a, uh, uh, a, a, peanut, uh, a peanut allergy. Okay. All right. So um, they've given us some pretty clear guidelines about when we should uh, be concerned. Um, what does the most recent data say about our ability to implement these guidelines? Yeah, well, that's actually probably why I wanted to talk about this today, because uh, there was just a study published uh, last month in JAMA, where it was uh, done by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And they... Um, did a study of uh, AAP, American Academy of Pediatric uh, members. Um, almost 2,000 members were surveyed, and surprisingly, only a third of them had fully implemented this guideline into the care of their uh, of their children. And so that's why I thought it was important to talk about uh, this uh, this this today. So um, wow, let me uh, yeah. So that's that was surprising. Um, so uh, about a, you know two thirds of the time we're sort of missing the boat. Um, you 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 mentioned the guideline talks about taking uh, a history, uh, certainly of eczema and or egg allergy. Um, should we be doing some testing before we introduce these peanuts, or what do you think we should be doing? Yeah, that's what the guidelines suggest. Um, for those infants who fall into that high risk group, so they have severe eczema and or and or an egg allergy before actually introducing peanut-containing foods to them, they should uh, have some additional testing done. So if you don't have that, uh, put you in a lower risk group, go ahead and introduce peanut-containing foods at six months is the best thing to do. However, if they're in that high risk group, the best thing really is a peanut skin prick test uh, to determine what's going on. But obviously for many uh, primary care uh, uh, offices, we're not doing uh, skin prick testing, and so they give us an alternative, which is to draw an IgE titer, a peanut IgE titer, and to see what that shows. If the titer is less than 0.35 units, the risk of an allergic reaction is low, and go ahead then and give the infant the peanut-containing uh, foods. This can be done at home or supervised in the office. Uh, the guidelines suggest that home is safe, but it depends on obviously the comfort level that the uh, parent and the, the provider have, uh, have with us. Now, here's a key caveat. If that titer is above 0.35, they should not be given any peanuts, all right? Uh, doesn't mean that they have a peanut allergy because those IgE testings have very high levels of false positives and you can falsely label a child with a peanut allergy if you're just relying on the IgE testing. But this is a trigger though that this is a high-risk infant and should be undergo a formal skin prick testing done, should really at that point be engaged with an allergist uh, because if the skin prick testing that is positive, uh, then uh, they need to think about uh, strict avoidance of peanuts and long-term uh, long management. 
While we're on the subject of food allergies, should we be obtaining any other tests while we're sticking this for a child? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I know it's always hard to think about uh, drawing blood from a, from a four-month-old. But, the, um, uh, you know, they actually spoke about this because there's a lot of worry about food allergies. But peanut is really the only one that's been associated with anaphylaxis. And so the guidelines actually do not recommend while you're drawing blood just grabbing a food allergen panel testing. Just do peanuts because there's a very poor predictive value of these allergen panel testings, and these often result in misinterpretation, overdiagnosis of food allergy, unnecessary dietary restrictions, and so on. So I think if there's a concern in the family about food allergies, uh, probably you really ought to get uh, an allergist involved in the care of that children. But from a safety point of view, what we're worried about is peanuts, and that's why they're saying, yes, get the IgE level for the peanuts. I think I think what you just said is so important because I, we think, all right, yeah, we, we're going to rely on this blood test. We can rely on them all. And I think you're absolutely right. The, the other food allergy testings are notoriously a, uh, not diagnostic or even the false positive rate is extremely high. Okay, so now we've, we've talked to Maria. She, she's, she's introduced some peanuts. How should, how should I have instructed her to do that properly? Yeah, I think this was great because I thought a lot about this, uh, you know, how to do it. And the guidelines actually give you several different ways and different products that you can you can use. Uh, there's actually a printout you can get, and I believe we probably have a link to that reference where you can print out a handout for the parents. Let me just overview the, the general concept, though, in that basically uh, you should be giving peanut – talking about peanut protein, and this should be consumed weekly, um, probably not, you know, three or four feedings during the course of that week, and about six or seven grams in total. So that's two or three grams per feeding. So what they, and by the way, breastfed infants can be given this as well. This can be something that's augmented in, uh, in addition to the breastfeeding. So it's not uh, to, I think, some concerns that people have about breastfeeding here and introducing uh, foods, it's, it's okay. Um, so there are a variety of ways to do this. And one example that they give is to actually just use peanut butter. Two teaspoons of peanut butter is about two grams, contains about two grams of peanut protein. You mix this into a couple teaspoons of hot water until you make a really nice blended uh, solution. After cooling, you can just feed that liquid to the infant, or perhaps if they've been having some cereal or something, you can mix it into the cereal and, and, and give that. And you just make the consistency to be comfortable for whatever that uh, infant has had. By the way, this should not be the first food introduced to the infant because as we all know, uh, those parents among us know the uh, sometimes it's a struggle with feeding an infant to any uh, uh, forms of food, whether it's rice, cereal, and so on. So you want to make sure that the infant is somewhat comfortable with uh, taking in uh, foods uh, first so that you're not misinterpreting uh, what you're seeing as a peanut allergy when indeed they're just trying to learn how to, how, how, how to eat. So really wonderful, clear, practical, concise, simple guidelines. I like these, and we should be implementing in their practices. Bob, this is so helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. Practice pointer. Take a history of possible severe eczema or egg allergy in uh, young patients and their families, and when not present, introduce peanut protein as early as six months. Join us next time when we talk about the health benefits of drinking coffee. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed, 
To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primed.com slash podcast and see you next week.